Father, we just thank you for just, your, just your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for your self-revelation. Lord, you have revealed yourself. We can never figure this out on our own. But you have revealed yourself to us to be a good, wonderful, heavenly daddy who cares for us, who has created us, who wants the absolute very best for us. And even though we've fallen short, Lord, uh, you, you still will work out your destiny for each one of us and also for this whole human race. We trust you, Jesus, to do your work in us. We trust you to do your work in this world, in this topsy-turvy world where things seem to be so crazy and upside down. We fix our eyes on you and we're confident in your goodness, in your trustworthiness, in your faithfulness, in your ability to do what you said you would do. You are more than able to, to fulfill every single promise you've made to us as a people, as a nation, uh, as a humanity, and also individually. So we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series, a three-part series, um, using uh, a three-letter word. Last Sunday, we talked about God. G-O-D, three-letter word, God. Today, we're going to be talking about another three-letter word, man. Very good. And then next week, we'll talk about another three-letter word. Okay? Not Ian. Come on, man. <laughs> we'll talk about a horrible word, a, a little three-letter word called sin, which even though it's a small word, monosyllabic word, the ramifications is huge, and it's affected all of us. In some way. So today, it's, it's humanity, our original design. You've heard me say, yes, there is such a thing as original sin, right? Most of us, Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, people who, who read the Bible, you have some sort of commitment to this, this teaching that we are all uh, broken and sinful in some way, original sin, because of two people, Adam and Eve. And that sin that they committed has had its effect all the way down through uh, uh, history, all the way through every single human being that's ever lived. We're all broken, except for one, who is Jesus, the sinless one. But we're talking today about our original design, original goodness. We were designed to be good, everybody. You good with that? Um, before we go too for, uh, much further, here's what I want to say. Brethren... Do not be children in understanding. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. Do not be uh, children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. So in bad things, you know, be like a child. Be not, know nothing about it. But in understanding, be mature. In understanding, be mature. Some people like to preach. Well, there are two ways that... Uh, uh, most people who stand up to preach... Uh, the end goal is that the people who are listening will somehow be, be touched, changed, and, and desire to do something different. So have their will, engage their will to do something different. All right? Does that make sense? So one way to do it is to preach to the emotions and to get people touched emotionally so that we did, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so touched by the love of God. I'm touched by whatever. And they... They do something different. Another way to do it is to speak to the mind so that 
our minds are engaged and we decide to make a change. Okay? So in this church, we do both. In this series, it's primarily going to be me trying to get us to understand um, a bit better who, uh, who God is and what he's done for us. What happened basically in the first three chapters of Genesis. Everybody good with that? Wonderful. Everybody say yes? yes. Otherwise I stop right now. See the thing is, I think what I will share, many of you, or a good chunk of you would know already because you're Bible scholars, you've been in church for a while, you've been in churches that teach the Bible. So this stuff that I'm sharing you will know already. Some of us are newer to the faith. Some of us grow up in churches where the Bible is, you know, uh, not necessarily taught in a, in, a, in a doctrinal sort of a way. So you pick up bits and pieces. Um, so wherever we are on the spectrum, what do you know what I'm, what I'm about to say? You know it so well, you can, you know, take a nap or maybe play on your devices or you could uh, ask God to take this truth that you believe already and understand already, take it deeper and apply it deeper into your hearts and lives so that it changes the way you live and also prepare you for impacting other people's lives. Why? Because we've been blessed. Why have we been blessed? To be a blessing, everybody say. Well, I've been blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Wonderful. So here we go in understanding be humans or be mature. So I did this last week, but I'm going to run through it quite quickly again. All right? There are these two stories in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and then is... is the first creation story, and Genesis chapter 2 is the second creation story. And by, way, by the way, when I say uh, two different stories, or two stories, I don't mean that they're necessarily different. I mean that they're two, they're, they're coming at the same thing, same thing from two different directions, right? The Bible is full of this. You've got one man named Jesus and his life story, but you have four people telling the story of Jesus, Right? You've got uh, in the Old Testament, you've got the book of Kings, the two books of, two books of Kings, Kings 1 and 2, and you have Chronicles 1 and 2. And they're actually quite uh, similar in many ways. They're telling the same history, but from two different perspectives. So, so when I say first creation story and second creation story, that's what I'm talking about. It's the same event or same series of events, but uh, from two different perspectives. And the first creation story talks about God as Elohim, the general God, God, Elohim, general God, Elohim, you know, the general God, the generic name for God. God did this, and it's amazing because it speaks about the cosmos, how God created the world, and how he created the world in incredible harmony and with rhythm and flow, and, um, um, you know, so it's, and, uh, you know, uh, so on the first day, God, you know, God said, let it be. Right? And God created stuff. He said, God spoke, let it be every single one of those six days. Let it be. And then it says, it says that God saw that it was good and it was evening and morning. So there's a rhythm to everything that God created. There's a, there's a beautiful poetic uh, um, reflection of just how orderly God created this world out of chaos. You remember chapter two, uh, verse number two says that um, the earth was void or formless and uh, without sh shape, depending on translation. So it was a chaotic uh, world out of which God created order. Isn't that beautiful? 
Everything is good. The second creation story is about Yahweh, the, the covenant God name for God, the God who had revealed himself to Moses. You remember? He revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush and says, I am who I am. He says, if you're going to send me, people need to know who is sending me. Who are you? He says, I am who I am. And that's Yahweh. Yahweh, the, the covenant name that God uh, gave, him, gave to Moses about who he was. And so that, that's the name that, that the second creation story uses. It focuses more on the specific creation of Adam and Eve and the garden and the choices that God laid out before, before uh, Adam and Eve. And then Genesis 3 is when the fall happened, right? And by fall, I don't mean autumn. I mean the fall of man. It's, it, we speak, it shows us about the devil, the adversary or, ad, the, or, or adversary and then about our own sin and its consequences. So that's what I spoke about primarily about uh, um, last Sunday. But here's the deal, everybody. You see, it is very important that we understand this. It's very important. Here's why it's important. Because it applies to us today. It applies to us in the day of Moses. See, Moses, he wrote the first book, first five books of the Bible. The first five books, Genesis and the rest of them, he wrote the first, first five books. And here, one of the reasons why he wrote the, the first five books was to, to tell the people of Israel, the Jewish people, who had spent 430 years in captivity as slaves. They were oppressed and depressed and repressed, and they were under pressure for 430 years by this um, very oppressive sort of regime that squelched them and everything else, okay? And so God uses Moses and Aaron and a few others to bring them out of the promised land. And so they're coming out of this promised land and they are beaten up and they're battered and they're bruised. And Moses is saying, listen everybody, the God who, who is bringing you out from slavery into freedom, this is what he is like. And in, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, he's saying, listen, you have spent 430 years, you've probably forgotten, if you ever knew, you've probably forgotten what God is like. And the kind of God or gods that you've been exposed to are the gods of Egypt, who are you know, they worship the sun, and they worship the moon, and they are capricious, and they're not faithful. They do this, they do that, and they mess around. They, they, they are the gods uh, of, of nature, right? And so Moses comes and says, no, no, no. Um, those guys, they worship the sun, and they worship the moon, and they worship trees, and they worship this and that and the other. God, who is bringing you out of Egypt, is the God who made all those things, right? And he made them in an orderly fashion. He made them by speaking his word, right? He's powerful. He made the world out of nothing, right? If God made the world out of nothing, how amazing is that? He is the God of the impossible, everybody. So how does it apply to you? I'm gonna apply this to you right now. If God is the God of the impossible, what do you feel that you're experiencing in your life that seems impossible? Huh? Good word. Thank you, Dev. Dev says that's a good word, and therefore it has to be true. Uh, if God is speaking to, if, if God is the God of the impossible, he is more than able 
to handle any impossibility that you have in your life. If, you, if, if God is the God who, who, who created an orderly universe out of chaos, right, in a beautiful, elegant way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing that was, was made has been made without Him. By the way, for those of you who know who, knows, who know your Bible, that's John chapter 1, speaking about Jesus, who was, who was there with the Father creating the world. All right? If this God uh, created this world out of chaos, what is chaotic in your life that, that God can't put order to? What is crazy and swirling around in your life right now that you don't think that God can handle, that God God can sort out. Of course he can. You do, the, all he's requiring of you is to say, yes, I believe that you can do this in my life. I believe you can bring order to my relationships. My family may be messed up. My kids may be wayward. Whatever the crisis is, whatever the difficulty, whatever the disorder there is in our lives, if we put our trust in this God who created the world of nothing, he can actually bring order to our lives. Can he not? Amen. Come on. All right, so, uh, yes, this may take more than 30 minutes if you guys keep on like that. All right, God our Father, Creator. Very quickly, let me just recap, really super fast. He's powerful, has done the impossible. He's sovereign. He answers to no one, okay? That's what I mean when I, when I use the word sovereign. Uh, because there is this tension in our minds. If we have free will, how can God be sovereign and in charge of everything? Well, God... Uh, here's how I understand sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. God answers to no one. He can do whatever he likes because he is God and we are not. Just don't forget that second part. We are not God, okay? He is God. He's the one true God. He's so Canada is a sovereign nation, right? We answer, as a nation, we answer to no one. Likewise, in a much more profound way and true way, God is sovereign. He, has to, he doesn't report to anybody. He can do whatever he likes because he is God. Amen. That's how, that's how I understand uh, uh, sovereignty. Faithful, I talked already about the trustworthiness, uh, purposefulness, the order in which he created the world. And then fourth, personal, personal, personal. Right? He's, not, he's not the force. May the force be with you, as cool as that may sound. He's not the force. He's actually a personal God. We are not, he, is not a, he is accountable to no one. We are accountable to him. All right? We are accountable to this God. So it's not the universe that's leading me. There's a God who is personal, who is involved in my life, who is leading my life. And I get, to res, I get to respond to him, and I get to be accountable to him. So I don't get to um, slag off and say, oh, the universe is doing this. I've already made those points last week. Uh, and finally, righteous judge is right. Uh, the psalm says that his, the foundations of his throne are righteousness and justice. Everything he does is good. Every decision he makes is perfectly just. We may not always feel that way in our humanity and in our brokenness and limitedness because we don't see the full picture. But you trust in God because he's good and he is gracious and he's always going to do the right thing. 
He's always going to do the right thing. He's always going to make the right decision. Even if we don't see it right now, we may see 20 years from now or into eternity, we'll see the goodness of all of his decisions. Amen? All right. So I'm supposed to be speaking about man today. So what is man? This is David, a psalm of David, everybody. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained or created, what is man that you are mindful of him and a son of man that you visit him? It's only somebody like David, I think, only somebody like David who is a man after God's own heart, who gazes upon the beauty of the Lord. The one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Only a guy like David, who's, that's his heart uh, purpose, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Only a guy like that, like that will come up with a question like this. What, how have you made us in such an, an amazing? Why have you made us in such an amazing? We are the pinnacle of your creation. I look at the moon and the stars, and I see how vast they are. And I look at myself, I see how small I am, and yet you've placed me above all those things. I'm the pinnacle of your creation. Right? And let me just divert quickly, because I often do that, for those of you who don't know. Um, in in Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, David says to God, God, you've been wandering around that desert, man. Look, I have a beautiful, I have a beautiful um, um, palace. I've created this beautiful, I live in a beautiful house. God, I want to build you a house. God says, you can't do that, David. You're a man. Your hands are, are uh, of blood. But here's what God says. David, I am going to build you. I'm going to build you an everlasting dynasty. You want to build me a house, a little house, you know, whatever? You want to build me a, a, a thing? I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you an everlasting dynasty. David, David says, is that how you deal with human beings? Incredible. Anyway, keep going, guys. Uh, let me just say before I get into, uh, before I go too much further, that we're actually living, we're actually living between, in, in a very finite space and time, everybody. We need to just lift our eyes up a little bit and get a, a bit more perspective on all this stuff. We're living in a finite, limited time and space where things aren't as they should be and as they ought to be. We come from a place of past glory, okay? But we're heading towards a place of future glory. Like when the kingdom of God is fully consummated, when Jesus comes back and he establishes his kingdom, uh, establishes his throne, sets up his judgment seat, and then we are ushered into this glorious future glory. In the meantime, we're living in this messy place, which is more like an internship, right? That helps us figure out where we're going to spend and how we're going to spend our future. But let me just give you a quick glimpse of Revelation chapter 2, the very Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. I, I would love to read the whole thing, but uh, I'm just going to give you a glimpse. This is Revelation 2. Uh, this piece is within one, chapters, um, verses 1 to 5. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, 
No longer will there be any curse. There'll be no more vestige of sin. No more trace of sin, everybody. No more the presence of sin and the impact of sin will be completely removed. We can only, you know, uh, imagine vaguely what that would be like. No more sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. The whole point of, of this is that there will be a restoration of Eden. But it's not going back to a rural Eden where there's only two people in it. It's going to be a, a garden in the midst of a city where everybody, everybody, every human who wants to, who have chosen this Jesus, every, every believer who's chosen Jesus will get to be in this glorious place. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that exciting? Are you, are you, maybe it's a function of getting a little bit older. I'm 57 now, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I have fewer years on this earth ahead of me than I have in the past. And so I'm already thinking about my, my future glory. I have current glory right now. I've been crowned with glory. I have a glorious wife. All right. Okay. Our original design, really quickly, everybody, our, uh, created in God's image. All right? I want to give you five things, three today and then two tomorrow, five things that we discover about humanity from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We were created in God's image. All right? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Everybody say, male and female, he created them. Amen. So first of all, we are co-equals. Male and female are co-equals. We are both made in the image of God. All right? So don't let anybody, any culture or any religious understanding give you the impression that somehow man, the male of the species, is better than the female of the species. Okay? If you believe that, go out to this church right now. Okay? Uh, Co-equals, both male and female, reflecting his image. All right? Reflecting his image. By the way, if uh, later on it's, it talks about um, uh, God says, I can't find a suitable helper for Adam, for the man, for the male. I can't find a suitable helper. So he brings, the, he brings some animals to um, a Adam. And um, Adam names all of them. That exercising the authority that God's given to him to exercise dominion, he names the animals. Because that's one of the ways that you exercise authority is, is you name things, okay? Um, but none of the animals were, 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 were um, a good fit. So God decided in his great wisdom that not only is he going to, he's not going to make another, he's not going to fashion another human being out of the dust like he did Adam, but out of Adam's side, he's going to make this, uh, this, this suitable helper fit for Adam, fit for the male. And it's amazing. The, the old Puritan uh, commentator, uh, Matthew Henry, says, says something like this. He says that God didn't make the woman out of um, Adam's head for her to rule and dominate him, nor did he make her out of Adam's foot for Adam to rule and dominate over her, he made her, 
her out of his side so that together, side by side, they can be co-rulers, co-vice regents in this world. And an awesome, what an awesome picture. Co-equals with Christ and co-equals with each other. All right? so, when, so when the Bible talks about helper, don't for one second, everybody, here's a big teaching moment. When the Bible speaks about the, the, the woman being the helper, don't for one moment think that somehow the word helper means secondary at all. Because later on in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, God refers to himself as helper to humanity. Is God secondary to us? No. Amen? Shabbat. Good word, my wife says. Uniqueness, not equal to others. Okay, we're the pinnacle of God's creation. We are, we're the pinnacle. This is important because if you have been in school uh, being taught evolution, naturalistic evolution, materialistic evolution, right? The idea is that human beings aren't really any, any different from the apes and, the, and everything else. We're just a different species and we're all basically the same. We all exude from the same primordial slime. All right? If you read the Bible, that's, you, can't have that, you can't have that impression, right? We are uniquely made in God's image and different from everybody else. There is, obviously there are similarities because other animals and, and creatures were made just as men were, uh, Adam was made from the earth. But the difference is we are made in God's image is what Moses is trying to tell everybody. Amen? Be fruitful and multiply, extending his rule. Even back then, that was always God's intention, that they wouldn't spend all their time in this wonderful little garden, this beautiful garden, but that they would increase and multiply, and they would extend this, this rulership, this kingship, into every aspect, every part of the world. Okay? That's, that's, what, he, that's what we were supposed to be doing. That's what, his, that's what our original intention, our original design was. And then to have dominion. I already mentioned he named the animals. All right? And by the way, it was God who brought the animals. So there's a co-laboring with God in this dominion that we're supposed to have of this world. Everybody good so far? The final thing is marriage. Marriage. I, I'll, I'll, I, I, I have to give a separate a talk on this at some future point. can't say very much right now. But if you want to read my blogs, I'm going to make a plug for my blogs, RameshRambling.com. Go there, do a search for marriage, and I wrote three or four um, um, articles or blogs on marriage, and it's going to uh, blow your mind. <sighs> Let me just quickly say this. Marriage is many things, but fundamentally it is a reflection that's meant to reflect God's commitment to his people. First, God and Israel. You can read that in Hosea chapter 2, where, where God says, I will, you will be my people, I'll be your husband. All right? Marriage between man and a woman is meant to reflect uh, uh, the, 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 the relationship that God has or wants to have with his people, his covenant people. Of course, Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about Christ and the church. Amen? And they were naked and unashamed. 
That's an, an incredible statement, everybody. They were naked. Uh, Adam and Eve were so at ease with each other. There was such an openness. Nakedness and, and unashamedness is actually an, exp uh, an expression of you know, them being open, transparent, vulnerable, not hidden, not fearful, not shameful, but quite the opposite. And that's, what, that's our original design. We're meant to be in a relationship like that. Okay? Next thing I want to say is we are created for connection. We are created for connection, everybody. First of all, with God, like deep connection, I mean, like open, transparent, unashamed connection with God. Right? We can hear his voice, unhindered by anything in the way. We were meant, we were designed. Isn't it amazing that God designed us to have relationship with him? We need to really, uh, you know, meditate a bit more on all these things. I'm going really fast, I know. <sighs> Listen, everybody, we are not designed for stress. Our bodies, our physical makeup, our soulish, our, the soul, our soul. We are not designed for stress. We are not designed for hate or fear or anxiety or shame and all the other neg negative emotions that we experience. We're designed for love. We're designed for connection, like heart to heart, open, open-hearted connection with God, with each other. I mean, in general, humans against humans to humans. And again, thirdly, among male and female, right? this, this ongoing tension that exists, exists between the man and the woman, that's not God's original design. Within ourselves, we're meant to, be, to have harmonious, peaceful relationship with ourselves, not being pushed around by every pressurizing thing in our lives, fear, coronavirus, Trudeau, Trump, Pick, pick, your, pick, pick, your, pick your plate today. Whatever it is that, that freaks you out and, and ticks you off, we're never meant to live in that sort of world. We're meant to live in a world of peace with ourselves and harmony with ourselves, at rest with ourselves, devoid of anxiety, devoid of stress. This is our, our original design, original goodness, everybody. And then finally, with the, with the environment, we're meant to, we're meant to store. By the way, if be, you know, Christians ought to be leading this whole green environmental stuff, right? We are meant to be in harmony with the environment. We're meant to lead the way that our Father does, bringing order out of chaos and not the other way around. I don't know if some of you are, are old enough or pay attention to these kinds of things, but a bunch of years ago, there's a guy by the name of George Otis who did a bunch of videos or documentaries on, you know, places, either, either cities or regions or even countries where, you know, there was revival happening, revival that impacted society, not just renewing of the church or whatever, but where society was being impacted by the presence of God and the kingdom of God. One of those places was Almalongo, Almalonga in Guatemala. Do anybody remember that? Almalonga in Guatemala? Well, um, this was a place that was super poor. Uh, there was lots of strife, drunkenness, drugs, violence, all of, everything going on that wasn't good. 
pastor arrives and he gathers a few other pastors and they begin to pray and fast and pray and fast for, for an extended period of time, not just a couple of weeks, but an extended period of time. They preached the gospel and, and there was, um, over the course of time, r radical change happening. You can Google it and check it out. You can, there's real change happening. And one of the things that happened, not only were people getting saved and becoming followers of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and all those amazing things, but nature actually changed as well. Like the crops, they weren't doing anything discernibly different in their, in their farming techniques, but the crops began to be more abundant and bigger and some of their, uh, some of their vegetables you know, were so massive um, I really quickly, I thought of it only just now, and here's a picture. It may not be the best picture to, to demonstrate just how amazing it was, but there were some of the things that they uh, grew that were like, 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 like massive. Carrots and all kinds of things. The point I'm making there is that, is that when the kingdom of God invades a space in power and reality, it affects everything including the natural world, including the environment. Something similar happened in northern, northern Canada, everybody, right here in Canada in the north, uh, in Nunavut or one of those places, I don't remember exactly, but one of those places where revival came to the Inuit people. And um, as revival came, as people's hearts were being changed, as they were falling in love with Jesus, their testimony was that the elk that used to be scarce Began to, be, began to show up. The bison and all the animals that were scarce began to come back. And so they, they, had, they had food again. All right. Lord, bring revival. It changes everything. Finally, we have this precious gift of free will, everybody. God, why did you give me free will when I mess up all the time? When I know what, what is the right thing to do, and yet it's a precious gift that God will not take back. It's a precious gift that God will not take back, okay? Even though our ancestors made this horrible mistake, he never ever intended to prevent us from having the ability, to, the ability to make free choice. Ah. To have real meaning, everybody, for free will to have meaning, you have to have real choice. And you have to have real consequences. For, 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 you, to have free, for you to have free will, you have to have real choices and real consequences. Here's a flimsy example. I can't take you to the grocery store or to the fruit stand and say, okay, guy, okay, uh, Sybil, you've got free choice to choose whatever fruit you want. But the only fruit in the, in the fruit stand is mangoes, right? That's not really, how free is your free choice, right? You're, you're limited to mangoes. For free choice to be free and real, you have to have options. Am I making sense? You can't go into a store you can't go into a store, jo uh, uh, Joan. You can't go into a store, okay, and see a nice dress. Pardon the um, caricature or the um, thing. Stay on target, Ramesh. You, you can't 
go into a store and have only one pink dress, I mean a whole, a whole slew of pink dresses, no other options, right? That's not really a free choice. You have to have real options. Am I making sense, everybody? And you have to, real, you have, to have real consequences. And that's the brilliance of God because, as, as I said earlier, He's a God who is a righteous judge. And He's a good Father. And He wants us to exercise uh, our God-given freedom. And so he takes the risk. He takes the risk of giving us these options. But here's the big point. For love to be genuine, for love to be genuine, it must be freely given and freely received. And God doesn't want robots. He wants, he wants autonomous human beings who would say, Jesus, I get to choose to love you. I get to choose to adore you. I get to, I get to choose to honor you for who you are, for how, you, how you've revealed yourself to be a self-sacrificing God. And I give myself to you. I choose to do this. That's genuine love. You can't force anybody to love anybody else. If there's any force, it's not love. If there's any coercion, it's not love. It may be control. It may be something else, but it's not love. Amen? All right. So there we go. Ah, there's more to be said, but I'll stop there. Oh, let me say one more thought. Every time we choose, every time we choose to love, choose an act of peacefulness or, or to connect or to be vulnerable or to, or, to, or to desire to connect to somebody, every time we do that, we are actually returning to our original design. Every time we choose God, God's way, we're choosing our original design. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Bless you, everybody. Here's my ministry time. Here's what I want us to do, if you're okay with this. I have three thoughts. Um, I think the best way to do it is first to gather into groups, but first of all, Let's think about this for a moment. I said that God is a God who is trustworthy and who has made out of chaos this beautiful world. And he's more than able to bring, to bring order and rightness out of the chaos of our lives, whatever that chaos may be, whether it's relational stuff with our family or with our coworkers, whatever relational issues it may be. It's maybe 